You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. So welcome back to Cutaneous Miscellaneous. And last episode, I spoke with Dr. Hannah Kultman on hair diseases, and I was pulling my hair out, getting so frustrated treating hair diseases. But after talking to her, my hair looks better, and my patient's hair looks way better. So if you're having problems with hair disease, I would definitely recommend checking out that episode. And on today's episode, we've had many, many special guests. And I think this one is even more special than all of our special guests recently because it's so such an honor to welcome Dr. Terry Cronin, the current president of the American Academy of Dermatology. So Dr. Cronin, welcome. And how are you? Nick, thank you so much. It's a great honor to be on your show. I, I hope you uh, don't find this as frustrating as hair loss. I, I think I, I will be telling you some things that will probably frustrate you, but there are things that we can do. And uh, it's great to be on your show. Awesome. It's so great to have you here. And of course, we're going to talk about frustrating things. There's frustrating things in life and in dermatology, <laughs> but as long as we have some ways to fix them or uh, action plans to fix them, that will make me feel real better. And if, if I start pulling my hair out, we'll call up Dr. Hannah Kopelman and she can help us with that. So Dr. Cronin, I just want to ask you, uh, you know, first of all, what was it like being Academy president? Can you just give me a couple of highlights? Because it's such a cool position. And, and what was your experience? Well, it was a huge honor, Nick, to, to get to represent all the dermatologists. And, you know, the American Academy of Dermatology is the largest uh, dermatologic organization in the world. And getting to be the voice of this organization has been a real thrill. Uh, I, I was... Uh, I guess you would say blessed in that my year kind of fell on the same year as World Congress, uh, which was in Singapore this year. So I got to represent America in Singapore and got to meet with many, many international dermatologists. And that's one of the thrills of being Academy president is that you're invited to represent America all over the place. I got to go to Egypt and I got to go to Berlin. I got to go to Spain, um, Japan. These are all wonderful bucket list places. And always met these wonderful dermatologists and they were always tell me, you know, the interesting diseases they're dealing with there. And I just found it fascinating. And of course, you know, we all kind of speak, uh, even though we're in different countries, we all speak the same dermatologic la language. And that's kind of fun. I love that. You're right. We all speak different languages, but psoriasis looks like the same thing around the world. <laughs> it's a, dermatology is a visual field. So it's a common language, no matter what language you speak. Right. Uh, exactly. That, that's awesome. And it kind of feels like you're the president of the United States, right? Traveling around internationally to these different countries, representing the United States dermatologists. What a cool feeling. What a special privilege. Well, it's a it's a thrill. And I hope that, it, you know, I, I wish that every dermatologist got the experience to be president of the academy. And I hope that many will will aspire to do it. Of course. And Dr. Cronin, just thank you for your leadership. Um, I know you've done some great stuff for the academy. Uh, but it's not all fun and games, right? There's definitely <laughs> difficult issues that uh, you have to face, the academy has to face, dermatologists have to face, and we want to talk about what those issues are, how we can uh, fix them, and what the residents are going to be seeing when they graduate in a year or two. What kind of field of dermatology are they going to be entering? And I think that's very important because in residency, we're busy learning what's the mutation in Cowden syndrome, and if I have a one meter millimeter melanoma, what's the margins I have to use for resection, uh, so on and so forth. But there's so many issues that affect the field of dermatology that residents are not aware of. But once they start practicing from day one, uh, it's going to be 
large effect on how they practice, the health of their practice, how they deliver care to their patients. And that's what I want to talk about now. And again, how can we fight for our field uh, and fight for us? Because we take care of people every day, but people need to be taking care of us so we can deliver great care to our patients. That's the most important thing. The first thing I want to discuss is the Medicare crisis. And I want to ask Dr. Cronin, for the residents that are listening, for the early career dermatologists, what's the issue with Medicare? So, you know, when when you leave residency, you begin to realize that there are middlemen between you and your patient. These are insurers and regulators, and there's all types of rules and how you get paid for delivering services to your patient and who has access to see you. I mean, in many practices, there's people who are not allowed to see you because their insurance won't allow them to see you, and they call that narrow network. So there's all types of barriers for patients to see you. One of the things that's becoming apparent is that Medicare uh, which pays most, most uh, all, the whole medical and industrial complex, I like to say, receives money from the federal government, right? That's hospitals and nursing homes, inpatient, outpatient centers. Everyone receives money from the federal government, and physicians are also are paid by the federal government through uh, Medicare and Medicaid, and also through uh, Veterans Administration uh, funds as well. Um, but what's been happening is year after year, uh, the federal government always seems to want to tighten their belt when it comes to physicians, but they don't tighten their belt anywhere else, right? So uh, they will give inflationary up- updates, payments uh, linked to inflation to hospitals and nursing homes and uh, all across the board. But to physicians, they haven't given us an inflationary update in over 20 years. And what that sub- does to us substantially is it it makes it so that we're actually getting a pay cut. We actually have a 26% pay cut over the last 20 years be- just because of inflation. Now, meanwhile, they're also instituting pay cuts to us. And and this year, they instituted one at on January 1st for 3.4%. They're going to cut our payments 3.4%. We feel this is egregious. Uh, many, many of our heroes in Congress are fighting this, and they tell us we have an opportunity on March 1st to try to change that. And that might sound strange to new listeners or new uh, dermatologists, but we've been fighting that battle for years where we would go and lobby to the Hill, and, and we would have something called the doc fix. And the doc fix is we would all hit the Hill Every specialty, every uh, branch of medicine would be there lobbying Congress and saying, you can't do this. You're going to break medicine if you if you keep cutting us. And they would often uh, give us a reprieve and fix us. Well, the last two years, they have not. They have they have let some of these cuts go through. And this this one is particularly egregious after all the inflationary cuts as well. After all we've been through with covid, all you know, the doctors putting themselves on the line, you know, facing the unknown on behalf of our patients. This is crazy. And yet yet they're doing it. And it may almost seem purposeful that they want to break the system. Uh, I don't know that that's true. I may just be that they're neglecting us. And, and that they just can. They think they can because we'll just keep being altruistic. We all have good hearts as physicians, so we want to help people. And we don't want, you know, I don't think many of us went in it for the money, but we definitely went in it for the stability. We want to be able to help our patients, but we want to, the trade-off is that society would allow us to have a stable life, not an unstable life while we're trying to help patients. So yes, we might have a nice home, um, but when a, when a patient calls, we're there to answer. And that's the key. Um, it seems like if they're gonna if they're gonna throw all this instability into our lives, it's going to upset the whole system, and that's what we're worried about is chaos. And so we have an opportunity to do something. We want you to reach out to your congressmen, your senators. We want you to reach out to them and tell them fix these Medicare cuts now. 
And there's a there's a couple of websites. There's hashtag Fix Medicare Now. You can also go to the Academy website, which will link you right into your congressman very easily. And 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 Nick, I did want to say that we're actually having an advocacy seminar on February 20th. Uh, about the Medicare cuts, and all our members are invited to attend. Residents, uh, full members, fellows are invited to attend and really find out the lay of the land, what's going on, what you can do, and we've 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 got a few ideas that we want to do. Maybe th- things a little bit differently on social media and stuff, just to really bang this drum. We want them to know that this we're not going down without a fight. Right, and I just again want to thank you for all the great work you've done. I follow you on social media and. The hashtag fix Medicare now I've been seeing so much, which is great because we have to raise awareness and we have to fight this. And um, I know I saw one clip you posted where I think it was a congressman saying, imagine if you were a doctor and or and, or you were selling hammers, right? And you, you bought the hammer for, for a, a dollar and sold it for 75 cents. You would go broke. Your practice would go to zero. That's kind of what's happening here with inflation and with the cuts, right? And Correct. I was reading that for the past couple of years. Uh, I know you said for the past many, many, many years, but the past couple of years, we saw about 3.37% or three and some odd percent cut each year while inflation goes up. And and the Medicare Economic Index, which measures inflation and medical practice, has been projected to go up 4.6% in 2024. So that means running practices are more expensive. And we have good hearts. Patient care is what I love. I love taking care of patients. My favorite thing in the world is to see a rash and say, we're going to help you. You know, That's why we all go into this. But we have to realize that things in society, in medical practice aren't free, like staff, like gauze, like the lights, like the toilet working. <laughs> we need to pay money for those things uh, for, for for the practice to work properly, and 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 we need we need money. And as inflation goes up, those things get more expensive. And I don't have to tell everybody what a doctor goes through, but if you're listening, you're a non-physician. I want to remind you that doctors have to go to college and they have to study hard, and they might have to miss out on some some fun times when they're studying. And then medical school. Uh, for four years. And again, lots of studying, waking up early for rotations. A lot of us have debt, six figures of debt, and then residency training anywhere from four to seven years, uh, making pretty much close to minimum wage. And we have a lost opportunity cost as well. We can go out in the regular workplace and make money from day one. So we make a lot of sacrifices and and we have a lot of risk too, because we're taking care of patients and patients' lives, patients' well-being is in our hands. And we really should be uh, compensated appropriately given those circumstances, uh, as well as just, again, existing in this economy that we have with inflation. So the thing you talked about, the uh, the summit that you're having on February 20th, I think it's a great way for people to get involved. So can you talk a little bit more about what's going to happen there or what you're going to discuss Absolutely, Nick. And, and, you know, you really hit on something that, you know, you, you would think that people would look at us in a sympathetic way. But, you know, way back in the 1800s, there was a Supreme Court Justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes, who said that the doctor is the one that you set your hopes on when you're sick and your dogs on when you're well. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think that times have changed. We don't get a lot of sympathy and nobody's going to feel sorry for doctors not making money. But what they need to focus on is that there isn't going to be a doctor there to take care of them and their loved ones unless they they help us out, right? We have to have that societal context that they need us. We need we, we need them to help us at this point. So on this uh, Zoom summit, you'll be able to uh, uh, call in. We, we expect to have many, many uh, leaders on this call, but we're going to have uh, the leaders of the academy tell us what we've been through what the lay of the land is and what you can do and what you can do now. And we have it, we have a time, we have a, a little bit of time to do something and to really kind of shake the trees, rattle the cages, you know, make some noise, bang the drum, whatever it takes to just to kind of get noticed. We have to get noticed. 
And that's the key. Right. And I've said this on episodes before. Uh, we all work hard on dermatology and we love to go home and go to nice restaurants, go to the beach, spend time with our family, watch our favorite shows, all wonderful things to do in many situations. But we all have to, as doctors, as dermatologists, spend some time um, advocating for these things. At least just donate money if you can spare the money, because we, uh, if, we if we don't, the field's going to slip away from us. And people who don't have our best interests at heart are going to make the rules and tell us what to do. So everyone listening, I encourage you to even just donate money, you know, if you don't care about getting involved, but join your local uh, advocacy society through any any way you'd like. Uh, the Academy obviously has a ton of resources on the website. If anybody's listening, I encourage you to pause the episode right now, go online, find your local, your state senator, find your U.S. senator and write to them. Uh, and, and please, you know, we all need to do this before March 1st. That's the deadline. So I encourage everyone listening to please do that. Nick, thank you for rattling the cages. That's great. That's the great message. I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of amplify that message. Thank you. And we're very happy to have you here to, to learn about exactly what we can do and what the issues are. So, Dr. Cronin, that was great. I want to move into a couple other policy issues uh, that the Academy is fighting for and that I want the residents who are graduating, about to graduate, and the uh, recent graduates to know uh, we've got their back on these certain issues. And one of them is social media and misinformation Uh these days, you can pick up your iPhone and get on and you can say, I'm a skin expert. Uh, here's what I do for my skin. And here's what I found. And, and you, can, you can get thousands of views and thousands of comments. And they could be someone with no medical training at all. So how is the Academy kind of fighting uh, misinformation? Well, Nick, it's a, it's a big problem. So many people consider themselves skin influencers now. They're skin, skin influencers and they're on on. Instagram and TikTok and all the social media platforms talking about what they're doing, how they do their skincare line, all this stuff. But there's a ton of misinformation. We see people rubbing uh, limes on their face and crazy stuff that, you know, we know that can harm them. So the Academy uh, started a really uh, took it on as a mission, uh, a program called Your Dermatologist Knows. And we appointed three correspondents. And you you may have seen them on our Instagram and TikTok where they're basically pointing out great ways to take care of your skin, and also great ways to interface with your dermatologist. And that's the key. How do you how do you really get good information? Well, you get it from a board-certified dermatologist or a fellow of the American Academy of Dermatology is what we like to say. And so we have to promote that. We have to, you know, kind of push back on all the all the fakers, you know, and, you know, one thing that is uh, I, I find very promising about the whole situation is that we have a great brand as dermatologists. We, you know, it's so great that everybody wants to pretend they're us. And I think that's a really neat thing. You know, it's, a, it's such a great brand that these people want to fake it and pretend that they've they've done everything that we have, but they haven't. And so I think we have to push back and show them that the real knowledge base comes from those who put the time in, those who did the education, those who spent the time in patient care and really went to a residency and learned the specialty of dermatology. Right. That's that's a great point you bring up. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> Everybody wants trying to be a dermatologist because they know we have it great. We know we have we're so lucky. We take care of patients that are zero years old to 100 years old. Uh, we do aesthetic medicine. We do malignancies. Uh, we do inflammatory. We do autoimmune. 
we can look at slides under the microscope and learn how to diagnose skin disease uh, at, at the histological level. Such a great, great field, which we all love to do. And, and everyone wants to be us. Uh, I can totally understand that. And I just love that idea. Your dermatologist knows. Uh, we're the skin experts, skin, hair, nails, and mucous membrane experts. I always tell people dermatologists are skin doctors, but we're also doctors of the hair, nails, and mucous membranes. And they go, wow, I, I had no idea. So I think that's a great campaign. And I saw on the Academy site, um, they're recruiting for the next cycle of the year your dermatologist knows um, experts. So you can apply if you're a fellow of the Academy, I think with a year or two of experience, it's all on the website and, and you can apply to be uh, the next correspondent, which I think is a super cool opportunity to fight misinformation, uh, get your brand out there and uh, support the Academy and support this, this movement. Nick, our correspondents have had millions and millions of views. So wow. it's really been a very, very successful program. And if you are interested, now's the time to apply. Awesome. All right. Everyone keep an eye out for that. If you're a recent graduate, or if you're a resident about to graduate and you missed this cycle, I think this opportunity will be around for a while. I think it's been a very successful campaign fighting misinformation. So it's something great to do as an early career derm to kind of get your name out there and support the academies. So that's great. So next, Dr. Cronin, next thing I want to ask about is scope of practice, which I think is different in every state. But what scope of practice is, is obviously any healthcare provider has a set rules of what they can and can't do uh, under supervision or, or, or not being supervised. And of course that differs, but I think what I'm seeing now is in some states, there's talk about physician assistants um, being able to open up their own practice without physician supervision and can just start practicing dermatology. So can you talk about um, what some of the current legislation is going on and what the academy is doing to fight scope of practice to make sure that physicians are the ones directing care and giving care? Well, Nick, it's an amazing thing. It's kind of a great segue where we talked about people wanting our brand. They want to be what we are. They want to be pretend that they're dermatologists. And there's uh, there's many professionals out there who want to say they're dermatologists who have not gone through the training of dermatologists. And that can be mid-level providers or what we call advanced practice uh, professionals, or it could even be physicians in other specialties who who for some reason are burnt out being a OBGYN or burnt out being emergency medicine and now all of a sudden want to claim, you know, uh, passion for derma for dermatology. And the next thing you know, they're uh, they're putting a shingle up saying they're a dermatologist. Now that that movement uh, into our field uh, is different in every state in the union. Some states have very strict rules that, for instance, uh, physicians assistants must be supervised by a physician. Uh, in other states, physicians' assistants have practice autonomy. Nurse practitioners can can uh, have practice autonomy in some states. In other states, they must be supervised by someone. Uh, these things are happening. And then when you get into all the the rules and legislation about trying to you know keep people in their in their lane, so to speak, it gets complicated when a physician in another specialty all of a sudden wants to say that they're a dermatologist because a lot of the rules are, are talking about you know preventing mid-level providers from doing this. It doesn't say that physicians should, shouldn't do this, but physicians do it too. So what we, we get into the idea of board certification, you know, that you need to uh, be board certified in dermatology in order to say you're a dermatologist. And then it turns out there's other boards than the one we all know. We know the, you know, the board, uh, uh, the American Board of Dermatology, which is part of the American Board of Medical S Specialties. But there are other boards out there, uh, different boards that claim that, you know, uh, they are also board, uh, giving certification to people, aesthetic medicine, weird names like that, that sound kind of like dermatology, but really aren't. And so, you know, people find ways that they can mislead 
the public. And that that kind of gets into another subject that you wanted to talk about, Nick, was the the idea of truth in advertising. And I think that's probably the, the best way that we can co- compete and combat scope of practice issues. If you want to do these things, if you think you can do all these wonderful things, you have to be honest with the public and with your patients. Don't go into a room and, and claim you're you're one of us, you know, when you're not. You want to go in into a room and say, hey, you know, I'm an emergency medicine physician, but I'm interested in dermatology. That at least is honest. Or I, I you know, I'm a I'm a, a physician assistant and I've I trained with a dermatologist and I love dermatology. That at least is honest, right? It's not, you know, there's a certain level of dishonesty when when a uh, mid-level comes into the room and pretends to be a physician. I find that 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 that's not the way to do things. And you know what? I've spoken to so many PAs and nurse practitioners. They're really proud of what they've accomplished. They're proud. They're proud of their credentials, and that's really the way they should think about it. Be pr- be proud of your credential. Use your credential uh, the way it should be. Don't try to pretend you're something else. And I think if in that truth, if you can come to that truth, you'll find so much more more honor and excitement in being the very best you can be. Right. Yeah. Being proud of what you are uh, yes. is a great way to think about it. It's kind of interesting how the U.S. medical system, U.S. medical education works. So if you go to medical school and kind of practice for one year in an in a internship, uh, you can hang up a shingle and, and say, I'm a physician. And you could say, I could do neurosurgery, right? You could do whatever you want because no one is really uh, kind of policing you on what, what you can do. Obviously, no hospital will hire you as a neurosurgeon without doing a residency and being board certified. But if you hang a shingle up, you know, you're free to practice whatever you want. Um, but that's where board certification is so important and why we advertise ourselves as board certified dermatologists. You know, it goes back to the Your Dermatologist Knows campaign. We're the experts in skin, hair, nails, uh, and those sorts of diseases. And uh, truth in advertising is so important, too. And people have to be truthful about what they are, what their training was. And as this scope creep happens and the lines start to get blurred, uh, the truth in advertising is going to be very important. So if you live in a state and they might be passing some legislation, letting physician assistants perhaps just graduate PA school and open up a dermatology practice and start practicing, you know that might pose an issue. So again, I encourage you to fight that, um, write to your legislators, join advocacy groups, because uh, that's not really the safest way to deliver a high quality der- dermatologic care. You know, uh, giving the call out for them to get uh, involved, you know, get involved in the state level. Your state dermatologic organization has advocacy efforts in your state. Get involved in the academy. Join uh, join us in advocating. Come to legislative conference in September. You'll you'll become a dermatology advocate like you won't believe if you go to legislative conference. We do it once a year where we go on the hill and we lobby lawmakers and we tell them how important it is what we're doing for patient care and how our patients need us. You know, it's it seems self serving, but like I said earlier, the society is going to break down if you don't have physicians caring for our patients and. All of society, all the population ultimately become our patients. So can we mobilize our patients to speak out on our behalf? I think we should. Tell your patients to reach out to their congressmen. Tell them to call their senators. Their voice is much more powerful than ours. Right. And it goes back to, you know, very simple idea. If we don't ask, we're never going to get. And if we don't, (laughs) you know, we don't bring this up, we don't fight for this, it's just not going to happen because, you know, physicians really, unfortunately, uh, are are a very small part of society, but we have a big voice. We're very well respected, obviously, in in society. And dermatologists, I think they represent maybe like less than 1% of all physicians in the country. But again, we have a very big voice. We touch 
uh, all sorts of um, uh, fields in medicine uh, from all the things that we do. As I said before, from we talk to the oncologist about advanced skin cancers. We talk to the rheumatologists about advances, advanced cases of psoriatic arthritis. We talk to the pediatricians about pediatric derm. So we have this great platform that touches on all of medicine. Uh, then we should really get the word out to these physicians too. So all of medicine is taken care of as the dermatologist. So Dr. Conan, this has been so great. I learned so much. Our resident colleagues learned so much. The early career derms learned so much about what these issues are, what's going to be affecting the field now in a couple of years to come and how we can fight for this and and just make sure that we can all continue to practice what we love, uh, the field of dermatology, and that, that we're being supported. So th- really, thank you again for your time. But I have one last question for you. We, we always end with a, a fun personal question, and I love traveling. It sounds like you do too. You've been all over the world as Academy president. So what was your favorite country to visit and why? Well, you know, it's it's not a really fair question because I had so much incredible experiences. But I, I, I certainly loved Japan an awful lot because the food was excellent. I never had a, a bad meal there. People were super friendly, and it was it was just very, very interesting and so incredibly different than what, what I'm used to. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, and I think uh, if I were to give a, a second place, I would say Spain. I really enjoyed Spain. This, the Spanish dermatologists know how to party, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can relate to that. I was in uh, Barcelona years ago, and I remember going out to dinner at like 11 p.m., and then yeah. the, the bars and clubs start at 1 a.m., and people don't go home till sunrise. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that the dermatologists are kind of partying as well in, in, in that mix. Well, I remember the the president of, of their Derm Society was partying with us till like 4 in the morning, and she had to give an 8 o'clock lecture. Wow. <laughs> that is, that's dedication to dermatology and dedication yeah. to having fun. I love that. Yep. Yep. It's true. Work hard, play hard. We can learn from, from the people in Spain. Yep. And then I, I was I was in Korea a couple of years ago, my first time in Asia, my only time in Asia. thought it was amazing. And the craziest thing was, you know, there's no more like letters. Like you go to France, you see toilette. Obviously, it means toilet. But with, with, the, with Korean uh, language, <laughs> it's all characters. So yes. it was just a whole, a whole different uh, a whole different place to be. But a- Asia was awesome. I'm sure Japan was great. I would love to go there one day uh, and visit, uh, perhaps meet some dermatologists there and connect with them. But again, Dr. Cronin, thank you for your time. Um, everyone, this is a call to action if you're listening to uh, get on the Academy website, donate money, uh, do what you can to um, fight these issues and make your voice heard because your voice definitely matters uh, as a physician. Thank you, Nick. It's been an honor.